0: Hello, and welcome to episode 218 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. A warm welcome to Beth G. and Roel Gabe M. to The Modern Manager community. Members get all kinds of support to help you develop your managerial skills, including a private podcast feed of this show that has extended interviews and episodes, so you can hear more from me and my amazing guests. Other resources include our Slack community where you can ask questions and offer your advice or recommendations to other managers. To learn more about membership, go to themodernmanager.com/slash join. Today's guest is Ray Ringel. Ray is an executive coach, facilitator, author, and founding president of the Ringel Group. She's a faculty member at the Georgetown University Institute for Transformational Leadership and founding director of their certificate program in the art of facilitation and design. She's also a frequent columnist for Harvard Business Review. Ray and I talk about meeting facilitation, what facilitation really is, how to do it well when meetings are in person or virtually, and Ray shares a bunch of facilitation tricks and activities that you can immediately use with your team to improve your meetings. Now here's the conversation.
1: You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rockstar boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer stewart
0: Thank you so much for joining me today, Ray. I'm super excited to talk to you about my favorite subject, which is effective meetings. So thank you again for coming on the show. Great to be here. So let's start with this idea around Facilitation because we talk a lot about leading meetings, but that's a little different, at least in my mind, it's a little different than facilitating a meeting. So, could you maybe explain, just kind of a, in a basic way, how do you think about leading meetings and how do you think about facilitating meetings?
2: Great question. Well, I think to start off, the root of facilitation is facile, the French word, which means to ease. And that's really what I think about facilitation It's this idea of easing a process or creating a process or an experience where when people walk into a room, whatever room that is, virtual, hybrid, or in-person, they walk out changed in some way. And that's the facilitator's responsibility is to create a space for that to happen. So leading a meeting feels very autonomous. I have information. I'm sharing it. I might ask if you're having any questions. Facilitation is more about designing an experience and figuring out how to create an equitable space where everyone is participating. Oh, I,
0: I love the way you just talked about the participation and the equity that comes from it when you're wearing a facilitator's hat, because it's so easy when we're having meetings to think about, like, what do I have to get done here? And we can often run by the fact that there's a group of people who are trying to engage and create space for and get them to share their ideas, which is a totally different agenda than just trying to get something done
2: or get your information across. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that one of the things that's most important that I say right at the top is that you come with you come in with an agenda. Sometimes things happen that cause you to have to flex and pivot and move that agenda. I almost always get the question, what if things start going off the rails or off road? And my first question always is to investigate, is that off-road or is it the new road? That sometimes things change and flex. So how can you move with what the group needs? Or when do you actually really need to hold tight onto that agenda and keep moving forward? So that's an awareness that you have to have the whole way through as facilitator.
0: Oh, my gosh. Do you have any stories or examples of recent meetings that you've been in or your clients have been in where that's happened? Because I feel like I also get that that question and have experienced that myself. And it's it's a hard thing to navigate.
2: Yeah. I would say one example is certainly in the virtual world, I really like to do a temperature check at the beginning of the meeting. And a temperature check could be anything from people putting language to what their state of mind is. It could be something really light, which is if there's a if there's a song that captures your state of mind in that moment, what is that song? Or I often give people a state of mind meter that has words from negative three to positive three in terms of where their state of mind is. So if I sense from that exercise, you know, recently I did this exercise and I think I had three people on the call write their song was, it's the end of the world as we know it, right? Or another group where most of the room came in at a negative two or negative three. That was an indication to me that this group right now in this moment probably wasn't going to be able to to fully engage in the training that I was offering. And so I named that and I named how, how is this group feeling about moving forward with what we have planned? Or if you don't feel like you're in that space, what would be most helpful right now to investigate, to explore, to help people move from a pretty despondent and negative state of mind to something that's more productive and optimistic. So we just did a full pivot based on the immersion that I was doing with them at the top of the program.
0: Wow. And and I know that's so powerful and it's, can feel a little like, oh my gosh, but I had this whole thing I had planned and we really need to get this done and we need to get to these deadlines. And knowing that your people are not at their best or are not even really like fully capable to engage is so critical because it means that the conversation you were going to have was not going to be as robust as it could have been, right? Like you're, so responding in the moment and pivoting makes so much sense to kind of help people shift where they can be
2: in that better place. Well, that's right. And I think a lot of it depends on the attitude of the facilitator is that in essence, the role of the facilitator is to be forgotten. It's not about remembering how great the facilitator was or how fluid they were. It's about remembering the experience and what happened in the experience. So my role as facilitator is to be in service to others and to protect the room and to help the room move forward if i'm too stuck on my own agenda and accomplishing my tasks that doesn't feel very benevolent or in service to others mm-hmm. so i'm imagining that a lot of people
0: listening are thinking well i don't get the privilege of having an outside facilitator come into my weekly meetings or my project meetings so i kind of have to wear that hat too you know what what thoughts do you have or or suggestions do you have for people who are trying to be both a meeting leader setting the agenda driving towards an outcome and a facilitator creating that space, creating that environment
2: where people can contribute? Good question. So much of meeting facilitation, the success of facilitation happens before you even walk into the room, again, whatever room you're, you're entering. So I would say, how are you setting the agenda for that meeting if you're someone who's internal and having to lead or facilitate meetings? Is it your agenda? Is it a collaborative agenda building process where people are contributing ideas or giving feedback on what's actually going to happen at the meeting or what's going to be discussed. And so the more collaborative and participatory the agenda creation is, the more engagement you're going to have during the meeting. The other thing I would say is, can you make space when you're gathering people to have various people lead parts of the agenda so it's not so focused on one person? That's going to be more engaging. It's going to be more collaborative and it gives people opportunity to speak up and share their voice.
0: Oh, I I love those ideas. I wanna shift a little bit to talking about in-person versus hybrid versus virtual, because again, this is another big thing happening in the world of meetings where predominantly kind of pre-pandemic, it was pretty much we were meeting in person and occasionally maybe we would meet over Zoom if you were not an already kind of virtual team or geographically dispersed. And now that's totally changed. Even people who live in the same city who have headquarters they could go to aren't all in the office at the same time. And I'm imagining that this is making it a lot more difficult to really facilitate engagement, to create those kinds of emotional safety feelings where people can contribute with their thinking or just ways to engage in general because there's some people in person, some people virtual or all virtual. Or it's just a whole different ballgame. So sorry, that was a very long-winded question. <laughs> but you know, what, it, what are you seeing when it comes to facilitation techniques and the role of the facilitator when, when you're thinking about in-person versus virtual versus hybrid?
2: So it's interesting. You said that it's much more difficult. It is much more difficult, and it's so much more inclusive and accommodating. We only had one way before, maybe two ways, in-person and virtual. But now, in-person, virtual, hybrid, there are more opportunities for people to figure out where is their place of highest potential. And how could we accommodate? There are some people who are running back to the office. There are other people who have to be in the office due to the nature of their work. And there are other people that if they never left their kitchen table again, they'd be delighted. And they are finding that they work best in that space. So while more challenging, I actually think the more inclusive and accommodating we can be, the more present people will be, which will make it easier for facilitators. So for me, what I really think about are two things. One is facilitators today need to be savvy in every room. They need to be savvy in the physical room. They need to be savvy in the virtual room and they need to be savvy in the hybrid room. There's no sort of dominance in one place or the other. They really have to upskill and practice and be ready to hold spaces in all of those different spaces. So that is gonna be a new normal for leaders and for facilitators. That's the first piece. The second piece is I really want people to think about where the work should live, where the meeting should live. So a lot of people right now are saying, okay, two days in the office, three days at home, one week on, one week off, and determining where meetings and work should happen based on number of days or hours. I don't agree with this model. I'm seeing people right now at work on an on day for eight hours a day on Zoom. Why are they in the office? I want people to think about what's the nature of the work and how complex is the work? Emotional complexity, interdependence, level of collaboration. And the more complex the work is, the more those meetings and that work should be done in person or hybrid, sort of the less complex, that work can still remain virtual, which is a lot more accessible and accommodating for people. So it's just a new lens to look through when you're thinking about where these meetings should live not just doing it on random days, but thinking about the qualities and the characteristics of the actual work.
0: Wow. All right. I want to go back because you just said so many wonderful things here. So let's go first to this idea of accessibility. And, you know, I think you're you're so right, right? We get to be in the right spaces for ourselves, hopefully, so that we can come in already to a meeting in our best mindset. And I've been finding as a facilitator that there are some things that you can do using virtual technology that's actually easier than trying to do those same activities in a room with people. And there are some that are much easier when you're all together in a physical space. So I wanna put a pin in that because I wanna come back to it in a minute, but I just wanna acknowledge this accessibility issue and how important that is when thinking about meetings and and facilitating them. And then the second piece I wanna talk about, and this is where I wanna go right now, is more into this idea of what kinds of meetings we should be hosting where and when, and with with knowing that we have people who are gonna be in the office and gonna be home, and it's sometimes like a puzzle trying to, <laughs> trying to fit everything together. And just any more thoughts that you have on you know, how we can optimize for our time together in person and for our time together in virtual
2: spaces? Sure. I think that for me, the way that I look at it is there's many technical pieces of work, information sharing, even parts of strategic planning, brainstorming. When you're really dealing with more of your technical, what I call task-based work, where we need to do updates and briefings and reviews, I think a lot of that work can stay in the virtual space. I think when you're getting into the work that feels more relational, team building, team forming Feedback sessions, maybe things that situations that have a lot of heat or tension or conflict mediation. I think that those warrant more of a hybrid or in person setting because you have more of the body language of the person to read off of and more of a physical presence. So you can't say just task based work is virtual and human based work is in person because it really depends on the situation. But I do see the technical. Pieces and information share really don't need to be in person anymore. It's going to be so much more time effective and productive if you do them virtually. I will say the one piece that um, I tend to just give in a real world example, I've had to deal with a lot of kind of team storming or, or you know, figuring out how teams come together over the last couple of years in the virtual space, obviously when we were really deep in the pandemic those sometimes can be tough to do virtually because I find that the real conflict is happening in a private chat. People can just turn their cameras off and disengage. Whereas if you're actually physically in the room and you have to really dive into the conflict, you can't go dark. You can't hide under your table, right? You're there, you're present. And there's the ways the facilitator can really bring people out. So those kinds of situations are an example of where I really try and have a more in-person element to the work. So I
0: think you're, you're totally this insight around when things are virtual and it's easy to kind of be distracted or distractible or kind of take things into a side chat and you kind of can't control as a facilitator. Or at least you're not privy to everything that's going on in that same meeting because there's channels that can be happening. And I know some, I've, I've probably been in meetings where even if it's not the the chat on Zoom, it's just literally texting other people in the meeting, giving direction, asking questions, complaining and venting about people. And that's super unhealthy. And it makes it the facilitator's job really hard when you you may pick up signals that that's happening by looking at the little Zoom boxes if their cameras are on, or maybe the signal simply that their camera's off, but it makes it your job a lot harder because you you can't You can't see exactly what's happening and people are, you know, they're splitting their attention. Right. I mean, the
2: other thing I just want to say about that point is that the virtual world also lends itself in many ways to different kinds of personality types. If you're someone who's more introverted, gets your thoughts and feelings out more in writing, sometimes you get lost in a room uh, when you're not as comfortable speaking up. Whereas in the virtual world, you can... Take your time to enter quietly. You can be super, super engaged and active in a chat without necessarily having to turn your camera on and speak. So I feel like, again, going back to the accommodation piece, sometimes you actually have more options in the virtual world in terms of choice of how you engage with the rest of the group. I think that many people say it's hard to build relationships and there's so much distance in the virtual or even the hybrid world. I think it's sometimes the opposite, because even though you right now are six states away from me, I could be looking at you in the screen, and I'm only five inches away from your face. I'm actually closer to you here than I would be in the room. So you still can have quite a bit of intimacy and connection, even though you feel like you have this screen, which is a barrier. I find it to be quite the opposite.
0: Yeah, and I'm thinking one of the articles I read that you wrote about the sometimes there's a a layer of safety that actually comes by having a screen between you where we can be more vulnerable because even though we are so close in proximity through the screen, we're also somehow safe because we're alone. And again, I mean, I had an experience today where I had a colleague ask me a very sensitive question that he had been thinking about and i could tell he was super uncomfortable raising the topic with me and i'm imagining if we had been in person i can't even imagine what that experience would have been like i mean i felt awkward watching him feel awkward and i'm like if we had been in person that would have been super uncomfortable and yet once once i kind of said hey look it's okay you can you can raise this topic you can ask me anything you want it's it's all good And he kind of calmed down, and then we had a wonderful, productive conversation. And my interpretation is that, like, the screen actually helped us in that moment.
2: I think it's really interesting. I also think it's interesting around the space that you curate where you're working, right? So, for some people at home, just sort of being in their space, having their pictures around them or their coffee mug, or it creates a certain level of comfort. Now, you know, you don't want to get me started on too much comfort, like wearing your pajama bottoms to work, which is a big no no. <laughs> but there's like, there's a boundary around feeling comfortable and still having your mojo and showing up in a workspace. But I also think that people can, in that environment, feel more relaxed when they're in their own environment where they haven't suffered through a long commute and tried to find parking, right? Where they have, where they just feel like they can take breaks in their space. I feel like for many, they show up differently because they have. The comfort of their own environment. And I think we need to, um, in many cases, accommodate to that.
0: Yes, yes, yes. All right. So let's shift to talk more about facilitation techniques. And maybe we start with the virtual space, since so many meetings are happening virtually or in a hybrid these days. What are some of your favorite facilitation techniques or approaches to to create that engagement, to create a greater sense of accessibility and multiple ways to participate—that doesn't require all of us speaking, using our voices, and sharing the microphone all the time.
2: Yeah, great. First and foremost, the most—I I think that the technique for virtual—that's—that's m- that's most important—is the idea of padding your time. So it's not just whatever we were going to do in the room we'll do on Zoom. There is really a conversion methodology to how you do your work in the virtual world, and two of the most important principles for that is to give things double the time that you need. When you tell someone, okay, four people per breakout room, each person speaks, here's the question. And you give them four minutes, 1.5 people speak. It's just not enough. Or when you see an agenda group discussion, five minutes, that's one long-winded person. So for virtual in particular, we need to give things more time than we think it will actually take. That's something that's really important. To remember about the virtual world. And we also want to design in intervals. If anyone is talking for more than 10 to 15 minutes in any meeting, whether it's virtual, hybrid, or in the room, they're probably doing something wrong. After that interval of 10 to 15 minutes, it needs to toggle back to your participants where they get to be in the driver's seat, where they get to respond, to write, to put something in chat, to ask a question, to go to a breakout. It's I, I use the model of high impact interval training from exercise to the virtual world. So you're constantly, you're having these like bursts of intensity and activity, and then an an interval of active recovery. So the way that we treat our, our hearts and our bodies should be the way that we treat our brains in the virtual world. Let people soak in the information and then let them step in and do something with it. So that's something I feel really strongly about. There are so many different modalities that you can use in the virtual world, things around changing your name, things around using the chat, different platforms that you can use, Google Docs, Mural Boards, Miro, Padlet. I mean, it's really endless in terms of the um, the ways that you can engage people. But there's a couple that I like to use in particular that i share with you. First of all, I love starting any meetings or training sessions with a Mentimeter, which is some people use polling. I happen to like menti.com. It's a way to get immediate answers and polling that is totally anonymous. You get 100% participation, and it's anonymous. So you can really check in to see how people are doing, what they hope to get out of this experience, how they're feeling about a particular issue. It's anonymous, it's completely engaging, and it hooks people in right away. So I like to start with something like that. I also like to have people start virtual meetings with two or three minutes of what I call intention setting. And I don't mean, you know, start burning incense and meditating. I don't mean that at all. I mean, having them remove a distraction from their desk or from their computer and having them write down their intention of this meeting, not sharing it, just to write it down. And I find that that helps people arrive in a virtual room. Our transition times between meetings are nothing. It's just frantically trying to find the next link. So to me, that practice is kind of like when you get on a plane and they say, if you're not flying to Chicago, you're in the wrong plane. Like, Where am I right now? What meeting is this? And what I hope to get out of it? And the last reason I like to do that in the first two or three minutes is that often people are two or three minutes late to meetings. And a big pet peeve of mine in the virtual world or in any room is when the facilitator says, we're just going to wait about five minutes for everyone to join. And I'm thinking, are you for real? Like, do you know what I can get done in five minutes? It's obscene what I can get done in five minutes, but I've chosen to be here on time. (laughs) So now I'm being penalized for being on time, right? But on the other hand, we want to be accommodating to people who are really stretched. So how can I do something meaningful, start at the top of the hour, something meaningful, but the people who need to be on two or three minutes late haven't missed something critical. So that's always how I begin. Then I would say that, Every 10 to 15 minutes, I'm doing some sort of exercise that's helping them process the information, that's helping them extract, like, the stickiness, what they're going to use, who they would use it with, when they would use it. And so I'm constantly coming back to helping them integrate the information, sort of move it from, like, head to heart to hands in terms of, like, I learned it, this is how I feel about it, and this is where I'm going to use it. So they're active the whole way through.
0: Oh my gosh. So, so many good tips here. You know, one of the questions that I get from people who are thinking about using tools like Menti or Miro or Mural is, you know, like my team's not so tech savvy or like we've never done anything like this before. And, you know, do you have any thoughts about how to support managers or teams who want to use some of these tools, but maybe haven't done that or are less familiar with how to use them and and they want it to be a
2: good experience? Absolutely. So first of all, you can, whatever collaborative document those people use, whether it's SharePoint, OneDrive, Google Doc, I always use the platform that they use internally if they're not comfortable. I'm not going to give them some fancy schmancy platform if, if they're using an internal shared drive, then instead of using it to sh- just to share documents, I'm going to teach you how to use it to collaborate in real time. So I want people to work within the platform that they're comfortable if they're open to learning new ones, great. And I'll teach it to them. I often give a pre-training myself or with some videos to get people comfortable on the platform that I'm going to use. But then sometimes it's just about bagging the platform and, and giving up on the bells and whistles. So I'll tell you, one of my favorite exercises is something called roll call. And roll call is when you give people a prompt and they have to complete the prompt. So let's say I was doing this in terms of just like a team building. I would say, I want everyone to write down this sentence. Something I've learned about myself recently is, everyone has to write down that sentence stem. Then they have to complete the sentence and put a period at the end. And then each person we go around based on the order of pictures on the screen and they have to take themselves off mute and says, and say, something I've learned about myself recently is I'm actually fond of gardening. Boom, next person, right? And they each go around. And what's amazing about this is you can go through 20 people in three minutes, you now have 100% participation, and it creates equitable participation. Because if I would have asked the question, we're all going to go around and share something we've learned about ourselves recently. One person would use a sentence and someone else would take seven minutes, and that's not equitable. So actually giving them a sentence to complete helps them focus on their true answer and gives everyone the same space to respond no matter what level of the organization you are. You can also do that in chat if people feel more, you know, more bashful. But it is about being intentional, about hearing every voice and trying to create that idea of people get the same amount of space. Oh my gosh. I, I love this technique,
0: and I'm imagining you can use it for so many things, right? So many it, things. Right? I'm thinking, like, just even shifting it to, okay, everybody, take a second and write down. I fill out the end of the sentence, one thing I appreciate about this idea, or one thing I like about this decision, or one thing that concerns me about this decision. And you got it. the same or, thing, right?
2: My biggest question right now is, our team's greatest challenge is, our most important goal for this year should be, I gave you more of a personal team building one, but I'm mostly using it to seed goal setting or strategic planning or for team alignment or for goal alignment. So it could be anything as long as it's not an open question. It's not an open-ended question. It's part of a statement that people are completing.
0: So brilliant. All right. So many great techniques and suggestions. And I just want to say quickly before we wrap up too, that when I use a new technology team, actually I was just in with another team and they had this great way of exposing everyone to their technology that they used by having us do like a little activity in the technology before the meeting. So it was super easy. They like walked us through it. And I was like, oh, this is such a great way if you're going to orient your team to a new tech to just have a meeting first, just about using the tech. So you do a little research on your own as the manager, figure out the things you want to do in it, set yourself up a little practice round, and then Spend 15 minutes with your team practicing before. So, the first time that they're seeing it is not in the meeting.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I just want to add what's really important is that our most important tool is us at the end of the day. Your state of mind and your presence is contagious. And yes, after two years, I am bringing back the words contagious and infectious. They are good <laughs> words, right? They've been banned. But, like, remember yawns, sneezes, they're contagious. So is emotion and so is state of mind. So I spent a lot of time with facilitators working on how do you show up and how that passes and, and moves through the screen and transforms others. So you can have all these tools and great modalities, but at the end of the day, what is the facilitator passing on to the group in terms of emotion and mindset and state of mind? And that actually matters in the end a lot more. That's what people retain more than anything else is how they felt in the experience than any particular thing that they learned.
0: Such an important note to end on. So Ray, can you tell us about a great manager that you worked for and what made this person such a fantastic boss?
2: I think my favorite boss was my first boss right out of college. Someone who was just a couple of years older than me. Her name is Sharon Lubin-Levitt. She's still absolutely a big part of my life today. And I think what I loved so much about her is she really understood how to be a manager as coach, how to lead through questions as opposed to giving me the answers right away. So she would start with me and say, what do you think about this? What could this look like? Because if I came up with the answer, then it's mine forever. If she just gave me the answer, it's hers. And and maybe it'll stick or maybe it won't. So she really led with coaching and with questions. And then when I was stuck or I didn't know, then she came in to say, may I offer a suggestion? You know, What do you think about this? Can I share some advice? And for me now as a leadership coach, that's absolutely the way that I coach. You lead through inquiry. That's what you do coming out of the gate. So I so appreciate at such a young age that Sharon intuitively understood what it meant to lead by coaching.
0: Oh, beautiful. And where can people learn more about you and keep up with your work?
2: Well, certainly through my website and through LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter. I will say that I am, a, you know, sort of a latecomer to Twitter and Instagram. I'm just such more of a connecting with people kind of person. But I understand that social media is uh, is really the way to reach out to so many people who could benefit from this kind of learning and this kind of work. And I've written, it's been a prolific writing year for the last couple of years. So I, I have a site on HBR that lists all the articles as well.
0: Wonderful. So we'll have all of your links and stuff in the show notes so people can find them. Well, thank you again so much for joining me and for chatting with me about meetings. It's always a pleasure. Thank
2: you so much.
0: Ray is providing two articles she has authored and published in Harvard Business Review, which are usually only available to HBR subscribers. Her article, Please Stop Using These Phrases in Meetings, helps readers take control of their speech patterns by learning phrases that aren't as helpful as you think. And the second article, When Do We Actually Need to Meet in Person, helps leaders determine which factors of work can be kept virtual and which require being in person. These PDFs are only available to members of the Modern Manager community at the Sprout level and above. To become a member and get these articles and dozens of other guest bonuses, episode guides, access to our community, and private podcast feed, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.